We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Hope you're having a good one. This is Richie, and I'm joined by Lee. Following the 50th game of the season, it's crazy to think that there's 32 games left uh, with the Hornets here. We're going to recap the 111-96 win over the Chicago Bulls in the Spectrum Center. And at the end of it, we're going to get to a couple of questions as well, including one about the rotation of the backup centers. As we get into this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and visit buzzbeat.substack.com for ad-free episodes and early access to episodes just for $35 a year. So, Lee, I heard you just got recently uh, got back recently from a trip. Where, where did you go again? I was actually in Salt Lake City. Funny enough, the Hornets were actually there while I was there. And because of who I am as a person, uh, i.e. a poor planner, I didn't even plan to go to the game, and I totally should have. Um, but yeah, long story short, one of my buddies has moved out there, helped him helped him and his wife move into their, their new house and uh, got a little bit of skiing in while I was there. So productive trip all around. Uh, but good to be back. Good to be back in the routine. Good to be back on the Buzz Beat Pod to uh, to break down a rare wit. Yes, yes. And are you more of a skier or a snowboarder? Do you do both or just do one? So I am more of a skier. I can snowboard, but um, snowboarding for me is more kind of like just slowly falling down a hill, whereas. Uh, whereas skiing, I actually have a little bit of precision, uh, and, uh, and certainly more confident. So, so what I do is like, if I'm at a North Carolina or Virginia, uh, you know, mountain, I'll snowboard. And if I'm anywhere else, I'll ski. Yeah. My wife is a snowboarder and she always says that like people that snowboard or maybe, maybe you can do both, but Typically, people lean one way or the other because while they're similar, you know, one takes a different type of skill set. I've done I've done neither, and I probably can't envision myself being good at either. I uh, just never been much of a skateboarder either, so I feel like that kind of goes hand in hand with snowboarding. And I don't know if I have the coordination to do the skiing. So, did it take you long to kind of learn how to do that stuff? Yeah, I mean, I 
I grew up skiing, so that was more natural, I guess, in a way. Snowboarding, I didn't even try until like three or four years ago. And so what else, like the sensation you get while snowboarding to me is more thrilling than skiing, but it's it takes much longer to become an average snowboarder than it does to become an average skier, if that makes sense. So like if you're going out there for two days and you've never done either, you probably want to ski because by the second day you'll be decent. But like by the second day of snowboarding, you might still be falling down like every three seconds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's probably something that I'll never get into. And my wife will probably never snowboard again because I'm not going to take her to the men. So let's switch it over to the hard court. Hornets did win the game, like you mentioned, 111-96. I thought the Hornets, well, first off, we're going to talk mainly about the young guys, but we'll get into some other performances as well. And then anyone here in Twitter spaces, if you guys have a question or comment, we can get to you guys as well. The Hornets' first 12 points in this game came off of three-point makes, which was kind of an odd sight seeing that because of the offensive outing that they had to end the road trip against the Suns and Utah where offense was hard to come by. But eventually that three-point efficiency did dip a little bit in that second quarter and the shots started to falter a little bit. I thought Charlotte's perimeter defense was concerning and Chicago was able to get to the paint at will. You know, there were a handful of players that were at fault so I'm not really pinpointing this on one player, but I thought Lamella was one of the bigger offenders when it comes to the lack of resistance and keeping ball handlers out of the paint. I just thought that was a little bit more glaring from his end. There were like two possessions in the first half that I'm just like, you didn't even try to put up a wall. Desumo was yes. one of them, right? Yeah. Well, both of them, at least from my notes. Well, the, the opening basket of the game is, is, is the one that I'm talking about. And then there was one a little bit later. He did have two fouls at that point. So maybe you have that built-in excuse of not trying to foul. Not a lot of deterrence there and keeping Dasunmu from getting all the way to the rim for that easy layup. But I wanted to start with the young guys. Mark Williams, JT Thor. I think those players out of anyone, like you're trying to get the evaluation process done with these guys. So you know what you have with them. I'll start with Mark Williams. I think there's more promising minutes from him in this game, obviously compared to, to JT. And I'm going to continue to underline the fact that he is so nimble out there. And it has surprised me. I did not do a lot of pre-draft evaluation on him compared to maybe you or Brian or Spencer. And that's just something when you look at his body type, I was not expecting to come from him several examples in this game where he stays low. He puts himself in a position to where he's not going to get blown by. He defends out on the perimeter, 15 feet from the basket, 20 feet from the basket. He had this one possession where LaMelo was defending his man, like in a semi transition play forces his man baseline, but the screener, which was Mark's man uh, was obviously trailing the play, and Mark was able to anticipate this a little bit and slide over and get to him. He's basically at the level of the screen, but he's able to get to the corner, set the trap, and get the ball out of his hands. And then offensively, he's getting offensive boards. He's doing a good job of using his body on seals and quickly getting up off the floor for dunks. Lee, I think it's these types of performances why we've been so adamant about playing Mark Williams as soon as possible. 
fans are clamoring to see him. And this was another good performance from him tonight. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, a couple of things I think is interesting kind of about the the Mark Williams experience thus far it's still a small sample size. I mean, we're talking like 500 possessions, give or take. But the defense with Mark Williams on the floor from an advanced lineup standpoint is like pretty incredible. Um, I mean, we're talking 107.8 points for points per 100 possessions given up by Charlotte while Mark Williams is on the floor, which is like probably would be I, I, I'm not looking at it right now but that that would definitely be like a top three defense in the NBA again small sample size and and the offensive lineup data with Mark Williams on the floor is not good but the Hornets also have one of if not the worst offenses in the league like writ large so you know what can you really you know what can you really expect a rookie center to do in terms of affecting uh offense in a positive way when when the team he plays for is already the worst offense in the league. So I, I just think the defensive numbers could be meaningful. It's still a small sample size, but I think that's what you expected and that's what you hoped for with Mark Williams as a prospect out of Duke was that he would be because of his length, size, athleticism, timing, instincts, that he would be a, a pretty impactful defensive player even even early in his career. You know, most rookies are are terrible defensively just kind of by nature that doesn't seem to be the case with mark you you've already alluded to some of his athleticism and versatility um in switching situations and recovering situations and rotating situations all that stuff is like super super promising and then you know then you then you start to take away some of the other little nuggets like he's a 74 percent free throw shooter you know he he seems to understand when he has a mismatch. He seems to understand when to duck in and seal. Obviously, he finishes, you know, pretty pretty aggressively and above the rim around the basket. Obviously, you know, in theory, he's a great kind of 
pick and roll log partner for LaMelo Ball. So like there are just a lot of positive things to take away from Mark Williams. I was highest on him of the three bigs in the draft. Williams, Duran, and Kessler. All three have had their moments, frankly, early in their NBA career. All three look like they might be real NBA rotational players uh, at the minimum. So it's nice to see. I know Hornets fans want to see him play more. I want to see him play more. But, I, I mean, there's really only, like, pretty solid positives to take away. I think with the caveat of this is a bad team right now and it's still a small sample size. But th- that's really the only clarification I think I need to make when I'm kind of singing Mark Williams' praises. Yeah, you mentioned the fact that he does take advantage of mismatches, and I think that's why he works so well with LaMelo because LaMelo does want to get out and run, and that puts the defense at a disadvantage. And also, too, you want to use him in screen and rolls. So if you can get that switch, he is going to use his body, his length, uh, his ability to seal off his man and expect a pass on the block. He doesn't always get it, but he gets his good positioning down there. And the reason I keep harping on the defensive versatility, as you mentioned, is because if you do have that versatility as a big and it allows you to not only drop, it can play to the level of the screen, you could be put into situations where you're going to be more available on the court. What, what do you think of his uh, rebounding so far? Uh, in his early career tonight, he had six rebounds, three offensively and three defensively. I think his rebounding has been, been pretty terrific. I mean, he, and, and this is more of an eye test thing than anything for me. Um, but like you hear coaches talk about out of area rebounders, like he doesn't just grab the rebounds that kind of come right to him. He, he rebounds in traffic. He uses his length to rebound, you know, over, um, opponents, He's, you know, he stretches out. He's got decent instincts. He seems to have a little bit of a nose for the ball. He is absolutely dogged on the offensive rebounding glass. I mean, just from a motor and an effort standpoint, like he's always around the ball. There was a play, I think it was, uh, I think it was in the first half, underneath Charlotte's basket. He created one of those situations where the ball actually probably went out on Mark Williams but he was definitely fouled in the process. Do you know what I'm talking about? And And, the the, the ref feels bad. The ref feels bad in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. No. And NBA refs do a good job of that. It's like, would you rather me call a foul on you or would you rather me just call the ball out of bounds on you? You know? And anyways, you know exactly what play I'm talking about. That's just one example of an extra possession that Mark Williams created. They really won't be in the box score necessarily in any meaningful way, but it's just like, the perfect encapsulation of his activity on the offensive glass, I think, which is really important, especially for a team that is not good offensively right now. Every single extra possession created is like found gold for this team. So I, I think he's been a terrific rebounder thus far. I mean, obviously, he's going to have to get stronger um, and, and things of that nature from a frame standpoint, but he's I mean, he's athletic and long enough and has good enough instincts to be a real glass cleaner in the NBA, I think. Yeah, overall for the game, the Hornets did not do an amazing job on the offensive boards. But to your point, he can grab rebounds that seemingly feel like it's out of his range. And it's almost like his arms extend farther than you would think. We're going to transition over to JT Thor, who also played about the same amount of minutes as Mark Williams. 
uh, but less effective, less effective <laughs> tonight. And that's to put it lightly. And I don't know if I had a ton of faith or a ton of stock in him to begin with, but he did play tonight, 17 minutes, Bryce McGowan's and James Booknight, which really no surprise for that last one did not play JT Thor, very different player from those two, but he is getting minutes. There are just multiple possessions in this game where his lack of strength is just so obvious and he drives, he gets knocked off his path, he loses the ball. And yes, it was late in the shot clock on this one possession that I'm referring to, but just immediately when he gets inside that three-point line, he gets hit, the ball you know, leaves his hand. And then later, probably, uh, I think maybe in the second quarter, he's kind of driving towards the baseline. He gets knocked off his path again, and he has to pick up his dribble because he is fading out of bounds. And he has no other choice because he can't shoot the ball because the angle is too poor at this point to make a pass to somebody. And again, it ends up being a turnover. And then on the offensive side, you see the lack of strength there as well. There was a play, again, in the first half where he is contacted midair and he misses a layup. Now, it's not a gimme shot. It's not a gimme layup because there was contact. But I think everyone thinks that JT Thor's like swing skill is his shooting. Yeah. I don't deny that that needs to improve, but personally for me, I think if he improves his strength on the ball, that could go just as far for me, you know, compared to maybe his shooting, like that's going to allow him to avoid some of those things that I just mentioned. And he's going to have a little bit more confidence in getting into the paint and, and maybe being a cutter off ball cutter. And you can use them in different ways. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be nice if his shot started to fall from deep, but if he can't do that, he's got to find other ways to be effective. And just right now, it's just not happening. So, yeah, he's got to get in the weight room. I don't know how much stock you have in him, Lee, and, and where you fall on him. Obviously, there's a caveat. He's just really, really young. Yeah, yeah, you stole the words out of my mouth. I mean, look, the, the early returns have not been good on JT Thor. You know, his two kind of calling cards out of Auburn as a freshman um, – were the defensive versatility, you know, that there were things you saw at Auburn from kind of a lateral movement standpoint. He was one of those college kind of wing forward prospects that, that would block a lot of jump shots, which is always something that catches your eye as a, as a young prospect evaluator. Like anytime a guy is so athletic and so instinctual that he's blocking jump shots at the collegiate level, it's, it's sometimes, you know, it's, or, generally can be like a pretty good indicator of translatable athleticism. I still think the defensive versatility like is on the table. It certainly hasn't manifested as an effective defender at the NBA level yet. And then the other calling card was was, was hopefully the shooting. You know, he didn't shoot the ball great on net at Auburn, but he did have moments and he particularly shot the ball quite well at Auburn when Sharif Cooper was on the floor with him, who was like more of a pure distributive point guard type. So there was kind of this feeling that, okay, you know, when JT Thor gets into the NBA level and the spacing's better and he's playing with better ball handlers, he'll make more shots. That has not been the case yet. I mean, he's under 30% from three on the year. He's like 35% from the field um, altogether, which is, which is just uh, wildly ineffective. I mean, the Hornets just absolutely hemorrhage points when he's on the floor to opponents. Um, when he puts the ball on the floor, it's a complete disaster. I think he's had a few moments as an off-ball cutter, but just nothing like 
you know, nothing consistent enough to, to, you know, be like any sort of meaningful quality to ascribe to him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like you said, this guy's tw- barely 20 years old. Um, he's two full years younger than James Booknight. He's almost two full years younger than Kai Jones. He is younger than Mark Williams. You know, he, he is still, uh, besides McGowan's, he's the youngest player on the roster. Um, can't even have a legal drink yet. And I think if you think, if you think about McDaniel's development arc, you know, McDaniel's is almost 25 now, five years ago, which would be before he was even drafted. I think he would look similar from a putting the ball on the floor standpoint. Now McDaniel's has made, uh, has made strides in the NBA as an offensive player that are very difficult to make. Like, like it's not easy to go from being a, uh, you know, one or no dribble guy to a two or three. Like, that sounds like a small thing, but it's incredibly hard to improve at the margins to be an effective NBA uh, playmaker, even in a small kind of ancillary role. So I'm not downplaying McDaniel's development because it's incredibly impressive. The only point I'm trying to make is in two seasons, is it possible that JT Thor is starting to show some of those same, same signs as a similar physical profile to McDaniel's? It's possible. You know, the, the jury is very much still out. Uh, the, the jury is very much still out in my own mind. I liked JT Thor come out of Auburn. I had him as kind of pegged as a, as a late first round pick. So I actually liked the value of where Charlotte got him. Um, but I just, the, the early returns are negative, but I don't think we can make any definitive conclusions yet. Just quickly between him and Kai Jones, between JT Thor and Kai Jones, if you were to put like a confidence meter on both of those, let's just say two years down the road, three years down the road, who are you more confident in turning into be a rotational player? Cause I don't think either right now, like you can expect them to be like a even like a six man. Like I, I don't see that happening in, in two years from now. But is it Kai Jones that you have more confidence in in terms of uh you know staying on the floor? Yeah, I I would go Kai Jones. Uh, personally, I wish Kai Jones were getting those minutes right now from a developmental standpoint. Yeah, you've said that before. Yeah, and and it's not like a by a massive margin. I just I just lean that way. I think Kai's athleticism activity like like I feel like Kai has a lower floor and that's what I said about him as a prospect when he was coming out I felt like he had a lower floor or sorry a higher floor than kind of the NBA draft hive mind was giving him credit for he was labeled as this massive kind of high risk high reward prospect yeah so I, I would go with Kai because of his, in my opinion, higher floor. I, I just think he can be a useful kind of energy rotation big um, at worst if he can develop. But like you said, Richie, I mean, you know, the odds are what the odds are. And right now, just mathematically, you know, based on the way this business works, neither one of them uh would have a, I think, over 50% chance at come, becoming a true second contract rotational player right now, unfortunately. 
All right, I just want to round out real quickly before we get to the speaker request and before we get to the listener Q&A here. Uh, LaMelo did not have a good game shooting. He was 2 of 15, only scoring 15 points on 15 attempts. He did get a little bit more aggressive at the end of the game and trying to attack the basket where he did attempt 10 free throws on the night. I thought Plumley was really good on the boards. He also had that dagger left-handed shot right in front of the Hornets bench where they went crazy. And I actually thought Hayward had a fairly solid game for the minutes that he did play. He's going to be on a minutes restriction. I thought that he used his strength and his screening ability and his ceiling ability to get good looks in the first half. Overall, I thought for the most part, he was aggressive. And one thing that I think that he always does a good job with is slowing down his body as he gets closer to the paint and pulling up for that floater, the mid-range shot. Like some players do a great job of going zero to a hundred, but they can't slow themselves down to the point to where they're under control to shoot the ball. Not that Hayward ever gets up to a hundred, but what I'm trying to say is when he does pick up a head of steam towards the basket, he's able to kind of flip that switch back down to where he can keep his mechanics under control. So Matt S you were here in Twitter spaces, go ahead and unmute and uh, give us what you got. Hey guys. Um, I think the last time I talked to you guys was very beginning of the season uh, after the Golden State uh, win. <laughs> and uh, I was a lot more optimistic at that point. I didn't think the tank was on, but uh, clearly um, all the injuries, I mean, they've kind of not done it on purpose, but it's happened. I'm just wondering if everybody else in this organization is committed to uh, continuing this uh, through the you know second half of the season. Um, trade deadlines two weeks away. I mean, are they going to go full, you know, trade? You would think, you know, Terry, uh, Gordon, if they can. I don't know if they can, but, uh, you know, even Miles. I mean, I can't. I can't. I mean, he's he's having a great season, but I want to see Richards and Mark Williams, you know, get all the minutes. Everybody, I mean, they need to fully commit to playing the young guys as much as possible. And I know that's not what Clifford was brought here for. He's not a type of coach, but um, I just uh, I hope they can continue this and we get in the top or the bottom three, the uh, you know Wimby uh, sweepstakes. Yeah, thank you for the comment, and that actually goes right along with the question that we got from at Cam HKY. Uh, he's also here in the Twitter Spaces. He was asking why Mark Williams and Nick Richards are just rotating games, and you know they're not playing consistent minutes. But yeah, it's it's interesting because Clifford, like you said, Matt, was not brought in here to do what he is doing uh, in terms of trying to make this team a, you know, a, a tank, quote unquote, tank team where they're playing the young guys. And he's not doing that because if he was, Plumlee wouldn't be getting 30 minutes a night. You would be seeing those two young players and he has a job to do and his job um, and reputation are on the line. So he is just doing what he normally does. I think until the personnel is changed at the trade deadline, that's when we're going to start to see Mark Williams and Nick Richards play a little bit more. And I would hope that they would lean into that. But again, if Mitch and MJ don't make any moves at the deadline, I also can't see Clifford saying, hey, you know, we're in the bottom three of the NBA and I'm going to switch up my philosophy all of a sudden as we get closer to the end of the year. So until they actually make the moves, 
it's going to be hard for me to see this whole organization kind of leaning into it. We've mentioned this before on the podcast that this team is going to be bad enough just with the rotating door of injuries. And I, I think, you know, Cody Martin Lee, like that's like been the biggest disappointment this season, just not being able to see him play at all. And yeah, he's not going to, you know, propel this team into a, a top 10 team, but it would be nice to see him play after signing that contract. So I don't know how they're going to kind of change their philosophy with the roster that it is. It's really going to come down to what trades they make. I do think it's going to be very difficult to trade Hayward. I do think it's going to be very difficult to trade Rozier. I think the two likely names are going to have to be Ubre, even with that injury, and then also Plumley. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I don't think Hayward's going to get moved. I think Rozier. I, I think Rozier is trainable, but I, I mean, I wrote about it a couple weeks ago. Is you know there there are reasons not to trade Rozier as well. I, Matt, I, I will one appreciate the appreciate you coming on as a speaker. Number two. I think we were all more optimistic after that overtime Golden State Warriors win. Feels like, feels like a lifetime ago now. I think the Hornets were like three and three at that point. But, but uh, no, Is that I, you're still in Europe when the Hornets. Yeah, were yeah, that's right. That's right. I, it's all downhill ever since I got back to the states. Um, I agree with you, Richie. If for some reason Plumlee is not moved to the deadline, like Steve Clifford is not going to wake up and just all of a sudden decide that he's going to play the two young centers. I mean, that's just there, there's zero evidence to 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 theorize that that would happen. One small note though, like he did he did close with McDaniel's tonight over Hayward, which I thought was interesting. You think it's a minute though, like a minutes restriction type of thing? I don't know. Yeah, you know that that I was thinking that I was thinking maybe. Maybe it was more of a, you know, whatever, load management slash, you know, Hayward had hit his maximum from the from the physio team or whatever. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it's like one of those like uh, kind of put it put it away in the back of the mind and see if it ever comes again. But don't make you know, don't make too much of it. But if we're not commenting on, you know, uh, unique closing lineups uh, from Steve Clifford's habits on the BuzzFeed pod, then what are we even doing here, you know? <laughs> Why do you think that they are doing that, though? Why do you think that they're rotating Mark Williams and Nick Richards just randomly? Because Nick Richards played the other night, and then obviously tonight, Nick Richards didn't play at all. And I, I will say this, like I, I took a note of this, it's probably happened throughout the course of the season, but like you see Nick Richards standing up on the sideline and not just cheering for his team, but also cheering for Mark Williams as he scores buckets after bucket after bucket and getting these rebounds. It would be nice to see both of them play. It's, it's almost like he's trying to keep both of them engaged while, you know, they may not be playing. Hey, you're, you'll play every third game, every fifth game, Nick Richards, just be ready. I need you to be engaged. Cause you just never know if, if Mark needs a breather now, Plumlee, he don't need a breather. He don't need a breather at all, but, but may, maybe Mark, <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's funny. I mean, Nick Richards has been through this before, you know, in uh in summer league when him and Vernon Carey Jr. would yes. oh, would, yeah. would swap off night starting at center, uh, and then the other one just wouldn't play. So uh, you know, I, I do think it's probably easier for Nick to stomach this than some other players because of the path he's had to become a rotational NBA player. I mean, he's really had to kind of completely scratch and claw for every opportunity he's been given. Um, so I'm sure there is, you know, under the surface, you know, these guys are, they're, they're, they're hyper competitive, you know, athletes. So I'm sure he, he, I'm sure 
underneath he feels like he's done enough to and it wasn't like he got out of the rotation because he got hurt not because right. he wasn't playing right. well um and it just so happened that mark williams kind of burst onto the scene um because of that injury so i think your theory is as good a theory as i could as i could cook up richie you know trying to keep them both engaged keep them both um in the lineup you know call me crazy but the the best way to do that is to actually play them both on the same night <laughs> but we're not going to get that yet um oh by the way richie breaking news no no charlotte hornet was announced as a starter for the all-star game tonight i just just thought you might want to know that uh yeah i don't think i needed the breaking news to figure that one out but yeah i appreciate it man um we're going to end on this last question. Brian Beck asks, assuming he can't be traded, he probably won't. <laughs> How should the Hornets handle the last one and a half seasons of Gordon Hayward? You know, I think we've talked a little bit about this in terms of just having a plan in place for him where he plays 20 minutes a night. Use him off the bench sparingly as a starter. And they talked about that to start this season, and they did not do that. He was, I would say, like, I don't want to look it up right now, but I would say probably through the first 25 games, he might have been averaging the most minutes out of any Charlotte Hornets player. Maybe not 20, maybe 15, but around that range. I feel like he probably was averaging the most minutes, which just goes against everything that they've talked about. So to Brian Beck's question here, you know, I, I think he's a good veteran to have. He's not one that probably leads by, like, he's not a vocal leader by any means, but I do think that he's a good connector on the offensive end. Sure, he gets a little bit passive sometimes in the fourth quarter, but he does all the little things like screening and and keeping the advantage going by making the pass. He can score in the mid-range, things like that, catch-and-shoot threes. I, I mean, I, I think he's a good player to have on the court, in terms of like leadership in the locker room, maybe he's not at that point, but really it all depends on his health. So you can have a plan in place, but if he gets injured, like he probably will next season, <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. So that, that's why I don't think he will be traded just because of uh, the risks that come along with that. But that's, that's how I would handle it. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't stretch him. That's one, one thing I would say. I, I, I don't want this to turn into a Batum situation where we've got, nine million dollars on the books for three years after his contract i think i think you just play this thing out at this mm -hmm. point i know that's probably not the answer a lot of fans want to necessarily hear because they you know they're rightfully frustrated uh with his availability i i, I totally get that i mean you know we we've talked about ad nauseum on this podcast that that hayward is still a useful and effective nba player when he plays that is true but it's also true and fair that that I completely understand why Hornets fans um, are, are disgruntled, kind of with his with his tenure in Charlotte. The one caveat I would say to that, or, or add on, I guess, is that you know I have I have cooked up this incredibly irresponsibly optimistic kind of uh, alternate universe we could be living in 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 seven months. And that is with Wimby on the team, um, with kind of this full cast of characters and and kind of like interesting young core around him. Look, I mean, with Lamelo Ball in the in the lineup, which is less than half the games this season, but with Lamelo Ball in the lineup, this is a league average offense. 
with with LaMelo Ball out of the lineup, this is the worst offense in the NBA. So, like, it's just important to remember that when LaMelo Ball plays, this team is so, so much better. And, yes, he's been nicked and banged up this year, but, like, I don't feel like LaMelo is going to be, you know, an oft-injured player. I, I think it's just been a little bit of a rough year for him mixed with the fact that the Hornets probably aren't in any rush to bring him back when he does get these little uh, kind of nagging injuries he's had this season. So, again, I, you know, I'm going to keep selling it until nobody buys it, but, like, there, there is an alternate universe where this team can retool around another high draft pick, preferably Wimby, and be good again next season. Uh, and by good, I mean competitive. And, and I'm tie all this together... Hayward can be a useful part of that, mm-hmm. even if it's in the last year of his contract, even if he only plays 40, 50 games, he can be a useful part of a competitive basketball team if this franchise can retool around a healthy LaMelo, another top three pick, and this cast of young characters, including McDaniels and Richards and Williams. Um, potentially re-sign PG. I mean, there's a lot of moving parts here. There's also, of course, the entire Miles Bridges situation, which we have no idea how it will play out. There, there's a lot of moving parts here, but there is a at least imaginable scenario where this roster could be pretty talented next season. Um, so I'm going to keep letting myself believe that, Richie, even if it doesn't come to fruition. Yeah, keep that faith alive. I want to give an update on the uh, ping pong ball situation here after the tonight. Uh, Detroit also won. So Detroit is 13 and 37. Hornets are 14 and 36. Houston lost. Uh, I I don't think anyone's going to catch them. I I feel like when it's all said and done, they are going to have the best odds, I guess. But at this point, because it is leveled, the Hornets have right now, currently speaking, they are a, a third worst team in the NBA. They have a 52.1% chance of getting a top four pick and a 14% chance of getting the top overall, which again is leveled with Detroit and Houston. So if they can just stay in that bottom three, that's that's the sweet spot. That's the sweet spot. So we're going to go ahead and hear and wrap. We wanted to appreciate everyone that joined us. No live video for this one, but we did have people join us here in spaces. If you guys have any suggestions moving forward for upcoming topics for the pod, send them our way. We definitely want to get a little bit creative as we round out the final 30 plus games, but you can expect to get these post game pods. You can expect to see us talk about some trade rumors and stuff like that. And eventually we'll probably start talking about some draft prospects as well. So for Lee, I'm Richie. Take care. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.